The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So for our, our week this week, we are exploring what it means to bring our mindfulness right into the midst of our daily activities, in the midst of our daily lives. We often get instructions for how to practice in sitting meditation, in walking meditation, formally, but not so much instruction in what it means to practice while we're driving, while we're having conversation, while we're working on the computer. And so that's the intention for this this week's practice. The structure of the retreat is that um, we have today where I offer some of the basic tools for our practice together. And, um, and then during the week... This, this day is a kind of a standalone, so you're welcome to just come for this day, and, and if you can't come during the week, that's fine. But I, I have requested those of you um, who want to come during the week to, to participate today because it sets the context, the container, for what we'll be working on together. So, um, so we'll, I'll offer the instructions today, and then during the week, every morning and every evening, I will be here from 7.30 to 9 a.m. and 7.30 to 9 p.m., to have a conversation with you about practicing in, in daily life, to, have, to explore what it's been like to work with these tools, to basically to have a conversation. And I think you'll find that part of the support for this kind of retreat is hearing how others are responding and what they're learning and what they're seeing and how I, um, how I suggest people may um, find a, an avenue in for being... Uh, attentive to something, particularly challenging things in our daily lives. So that's, um, that's during the week, the mornings and evenings during the week. I'll be here. You're welcome to come as you can, as it works for your schedule during the week. Um, and I do suggest or, or encourage those of you who can, who have the possibility, to see what it might mean for you to come every morning and every evening, because it creates a kind of a retreat container to begin and end our, our day with practice and Dharma conversation. So it's, uh, it's been very powerful for those who've been able to do that. But even if you can only come a few of the mornings and evenings, people have described it being very helpful. So, um, so just, just to hold that option out for you to see if, if you're interested in coming every morning and every evening during the week to make it really feel like a retreat. One... Um, one practitioner came to this retreat a few years ago, and um, he had only ever done residential betreat, retreat before. And he said to me, he thought that this retreat would be kind of lightweight. But at, by the end of the week, he said, wow, this was a, like a real retreat. I actually had as much 
depth of understanding and some, some growth in my Dharma practice that I have on a week-long residential retreat. And so this form that I'm offering here, I think is valuable, especially, especially for those of you who may have families or have work commitments that you can't go on too many um, residential retreats. And so I encourage you, if it's possible, to treat it like a retreat. And then on Saturday, we'll have a day-long um, where we, uh, again, explore some instructions and some tools for opening into daily life practice from a, a little bit of a different perspective. So that's also a, open to the entire community. Um, but again, um, you know, it's kind of a way to end, to end the retreat. During the week on Monday evening and Thursday evening, um, it's... This retreat integrates with the regular evening sittings. So um, I'll be offering the Dharma talk on Monday evening and Thursday evening, and it will be related to what we've been talking about. Um, so it'll, it'll feel like a kind of a Dharma talk night for the retreat. But it won't be as much of the group conversation that we have at the other, on the other morning and evening sessions. Sometimes as I begin talking about how do we practice in daily life, how do we bring mindfulness in, um, we, we might lose track of what the purpose of practice is. Um, just thinking about, well, how can I be mindful, but not so much really recognizing or understanding what is the purpose of this? Why are we engaging in this activity? And the, the Buddha pointed us to wise understanding, which is essentially probably one of the easiest ways to point to what that is or means, is it's about understanding suffering, about understanding how and why we struggle in our lives and how our own minds contribute to that struggle. And then as we begin to, with mindfulness, mindfulness is a huge support for this understanding, for beginning to recognize, first of all, that we are suffering when we're, um, when we're caught by some kind of reactive emotion, for instance. I remember for myself when I um, first started bringing mindfulness to, to anger, which was very, my very first meditation practice, and I did that in daily life. It took me by surprise, actually, at some point to recognize that there was a belief associated with the anger that was something along the lines of, wow, this anger's really going to make this person I'm angry at miserable. And I was unaware that I was miserable, that the anger was making me miserable, that the anger was suffering for me. And so this is, a, um, this is one of the things that we start to see as we bring mindfulness to our experience into our suffering, we start to see that, that what's going on in our minds may be actually suffering here and now for us, and we may not have recognized that. And so this is, this is part of our purpose here, to, to begin to understand our own minds, how they contribute to suffering, at very obvious and at very subtle levels. For, for many of us in our daily lives, we'll be working with more of the obvious kind of suffering, the anger, the frustration, the irritation, the, 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 the wanting things to be a certain way, the um, 
restlessness and anxiety, the fear, all of that. It'll, it'll probably be some of, some of the obvious stuff for, for you in daily life. But the same tools have the capacity and the power to um, help us very deeply unwind even very subtle forms of suffering. Very subtle forms. I mean, even, even something s- as simple as uh, a little bit of a, a slight irritation or a slight frustration or a little bit of a, a tightening of the heart. Those things, too, we begin to understand as partly uh, as our minds constricting. And the mindfulness helps us to um, understand it, to recognize it as suffering. And through that recognition, through that understanding, it's like our own minds begin to navigate and find their way to letting go, releasing, relating to that suffering in a different way that supports a transformation, that supports our minds to begin to orient towards experience in a completely new way that allows suffering to first start to release and then later to start to not arise. So this is the purpose of our practice, to understand suffering and see how our own minds are contributing. And at first, it will simply, part of what we'll see is, oh yeah, this frustration I'm experiencing, oh, this is suffering, this hurts. If you see it in that way, as opposed to this thing that, I need, that I'm frustrated about, I have to fix that or change that. And it's not to say that we don't take action in our um, becoming aware of what's going on. But what we do start to recognize is that we can take action not so much from the pattern of constriction or frustration or hatred or wanting or delusion, but rather from being aware, mindful and wise, and choosing to respond. Sometimes from compassion, sometimes from love, sometimes from generosity, sometimes from joy. That responsiveness is a natural part of our human experience. But we tend to have this habit of responding out of reactivity. And so our first work is to begin to notice reactivity as suffering and to um, hold it in a new way. Begin to see it coming into being, begin to recognize the triggers that are at work, both externally and internally, that create this suffering. So this is why we're doing this. And in particular in daily life, you know, when we sit on the cushion with our eyes closed, we, uh, we have kind of the ideal circumstances for cultivating mindfulness. And when we are walking around the world and seeing things and hearing things and listening to conversations and watching people do things, our habits of reactivity are so fast to be triggered. And so I I sometimes like to say that this kind of retreat is the advanced retreat because this is the hardest place to bring our mindfulness into daily life. And yet... And yet what I'll say too, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of an advanced retreat, but I have worked with people on these retreats where they've come in and n- not meditated before and gained a lot of understanding and um, capacity.
capacity because there's, there's entryways for us in many, many places for opening to mindfulness. So with our... Um, um, purpose to be to cultivate this attentiveness, awareness of what's happening in our minds. It's helpful to have a kind of, because, partly because we are, you know, we are going right headlong into the ways that our minds struggle in this in this practice this week. When we sit in meditation, you know, as I said a few minutes ago, we've kind of got ideal conditions. What it's kind of like is we have a bubble around us and everything that's going on, there's lots of stuff going on in our minds, but we're kind of secluded from other things. We're not engaging as much in the world. Our eyes are closed often. And so we've, we've kind of got a little bit of seclusion when we're... Um, we're in daily life. I mean, when we're in sitting meditation. In daily life, it's, it's as if everything is hitting us directly. All the sense impingements are hitting us directly. And, and so we, um, we're really getting to see what our minds do. How our minds function. I sometimes call this kind of, th- this kind of practice, you know, your mind 101. You are going to get a real introduction to what your mind does, how it does it. And because we, we are seeing often in this practice, we, you know, we start bringing mindfulness into, into our daily lives and we start to see, wow, there's a lot of suffering in there. And that's not a mistake that we see it. It's actually the practice starting to do its work. And so it can be helpful to have a little bit of a ballast to help us to kind of stabilize ourselves when we start recognizing just the ways our minds do the things that they do. And the traditional kind of stabilizing forces in our tradition are the refuges and the precepts. And for our residential retreats, we typically will take the refuges and the precepts at the beginning of a retreat. And, and I do that because this is a retreat container that we're creating here. So we're going to take the refuges and the precepts together. And I'll just take a, a couple of minutes to explain or describe these to you. Very, very much highlighted. I've done whole, uh, whole talks on each one of these three. So this is just going to be the, the surface of these and how they might support us. So the three traditional refuges in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, they represent something. The word refuge itself does evoke a sense of safety. It's a refuge is a place where we can be safe. It's a place where we can feel contained and held. And each of these three, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, represents some aspect of our practice and our experience that offers a piece of that safety, that security. The refuge in the Buddha, to me, this really, what this evokes is 
And the Buddha was a human being who lived about 2,600 years ago. And he had a deep inspiration and commitment to see, is it possible for a human being to live free of suffering, of strife, of stress? And he found a path. He found a way to do that. And he, he, he was able to articulate that to us. And the, the thing that is inspiring to me um, in terms of the refuge in the Buddha, I mean, we can think about the refuge in the Buddha as being a kind of a sense of appreciation for what the Buddha has um, left to us, the teachings that he has left to us, kind of our legacy from his life is the teaching. And we can appreciate the Buddha for that. But we can also appreciate the fact that the Buddha was a human being. And what he's pointing to in his teachings is that we all have a capacity, a very natural capacity, because we're human beings, to wake up and to understand how our minds create suffering. And so the, the first refuge is really just kind of reminding ourselves of this capacity. Maybe we aren't really connected to it just yet, but we have a capacity to wake up, and it's connected to this very simple, ordinary capacity that we have to be aware. Mindfulness itself. That when we, um, you know, this mindfulness is connected to this very simple kind of self-reflective capacity of our of our our minds. We have the capacity to know that we know. And this is kind of where, um, it's not just as simple as knowing that we know. Wise mindfulness also brings in the understanding of of a perspective or or a, a kind of a direction towards how is this mind contributing to suffering. But the, um, that, that capacity to wake up is right there in us as human beings. Because we're human beings. Because we're human beings, we have this capacity for self-reflective awareness. And we can begin to orient that self-reflective awareness towards this purpose that we talked about a few minutes ago. So that's the first refuge. Reminding yourself that, that... And I have found this to be really helpful for myself if I'm feeling stuck or, or caught in some kind of a struggle. It's like I just remind myself, wow, this, 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 this mind has the capacity. Maybe I don't feel in touch with it right now, but this mind has the capacity to wake up. And somehow that helps my mind to relax a little bit at times. So that's the first refuge, refuge in the Buddha. The second refuge, refuge in the Dharma, is there's different layers to this also. Part of it is, is taking refuge in the, in the practices that the Buddha offered. The, the teaching that he left us is called the Dharma. The teachings of the Buddha is called the Dharma. And so he offered us tools, he offered us practices, and we can take refuge in the practices Sometimes I have found that to be helpful too. It's like, well, it's not my business what the experience is. My job here is to just take a step and know that I'm aware. So that's kind of, you know, connecting to the capacity, again, that we have for awareness and orienting it in this way towards what he suggested. We explore. What is suffering? Can I be aware of a step and notice any 
a response to that? Or can I be aware of a painful experience? And notice how the mind resists that. So this is one um, aspect of the Dharma that we can take refuge in. It's just the practices. We can connect to that. And then another aspect of the Dharma is that it is... um, the, The word Dharma also means nature or truth. And so what we are exploring essentially is opening to the nature of our human experience, opening to the truth of what's happening in the present moment at a very simple level. The truth, for instance, you might think that the truth of what's happening when um, a thought of frustration is arising is the frustration being about some certain thing. You know, I'm frustrated because I can't get this thing that I want. And the truth of that is I can't get this thing that I want, and so I'm frustrated. But the Buddha pointed to a different exploration of truth. And that is not about the content of experience, about what the frustration is about, but the truth of frustration in the moment is that it is an experience arising in the moment. Frustration is arising. The experience of frustration is like this. Here are thoughts arising in the moment. The experience of thinking is like this. That's the truth the Buddha was pointing to. The truth of what's happening, what's arising in the present moment. And this is essentially the practice of mindfulness is the the tool that allows us to begin to connect to that to see something like frustration as a phenomenon. This is the human experience of frustration. This is what it's like to be a human being experiencing frustration. Not, this is the story about the frustration. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's why I can't get it. Who's responsible for that? All of that is extra And there is a truth to that as well if we can recognize, oh, thinking that somebody else is responsible, that's a thought that's arising in the present moment. That's the truth of that thought, that it's arising in the present moment. But again, not not so interested in the content, more interested in the fact of what's happening in the present moment. And so mindfulness opens us to that possibility to kind of touch into a deeper level of truth within our experience. And as we touch into that deeper level of truth, that's where we really start to understand and recognize how our mind kind of gets in there and turns things around and twists them up and creates this suffering, creates our feeling of stress, of dissatisfaction, of frustration, of unease. We begin to understand through the witnessing of it it as human experience, we understand it in a different way. And so that's, in some ways, we can uh, take refuge in both the practices and in the, um, the, the practice of opening to a deeper level of truth in our experience. The third refuge is refuge in the Sangha. And to me, what this evokes is the support of our community, of our teachings, of our teachers, 
of people who are practicing with us. And this is a lot of what we touch into in this week, actually, that we see how we support each other as a community and learn from each other. And so this is another support that we can connect with during this week, recognizing or remembering. And, and one of the ways this happens sometimes is as we, um, as we go through our week, we'll start hearing how somebody else is working on something. Maybe somebody talks about, here's what I was noticing while I was driving the car. And here's how I explored it. And here's what I became aware of. And then you're, you're getting into your car and you're driving your car and you feel a little bit of something arise in your mind, a little bit of suffering. And the memory of that conversation comes up. And you might think, oh, maybe I can do that now. And that's a way in which we're supported by our sangha through hearing these conversations. And so these three are aspects of refuge, kind of, kind of a ballast for us to support us during the week. And then the precepts are often paired with the, with the refuges. And I, I, I think of the precepts as being a kind of a deepening around the, um, the refuge of Sangha. Because what the precepts are about is how we um, live together in community, how we relate together in community, and our orientation towards aspiring to non-harming as we, as we work together, as we meet together, as we speak together, as we act together, to orient towards non-harming. And this is an important piece, particularly in daily life. You know, in, in sitting practice, we're kind of secluded from a lot of the things, the activities that might get us into trouble with the, with the precepts. And the, the five precepts are refraining from killing living beings, refraining from taking what is not given, refraining from um, creating harm through our sexuality, crea- uh, refraining from false speech, and refraining from intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. So these, these five precepts were kind of secluded from, mostly, in our sitting practice. And yet, in our daily lives, they become a big piece of our daily life practice. And so they are an exploration for us in our daily lives to remember these precepts. And if we want to, if our, if our purpose in practice is to release, to transform, to understand struggle, suffering, stress in our own hearts and minds. The Buddha points to it's really useful to not engage in actions that create harm externally because that will rebound on us and create a kind of inner agitation. It creates external suffering and inner harm as well. So when we harm externally, we may not be so clear or aware of it. We are also harming ourselves internally. And so this, um, uh, the teaching on the precepts, is, it's basically um, training in refraining from these five actions. Refraining, a training to refrain from taking life, a training to refrain from taking what's not given, refraining from sexual um, misconduct, refraining from false speech, refraining from intoxicants. 
And so I'd like to offer the refuges and the precepts now. And the, this can be an ongoing conversation. The, 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 I like the fact that this is talked about as a training. Um, the, 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 the language of the precepts is, I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. It's not... Um, it, it's, it's recognizing, it's recognizing that this, this may be... There may be times that this is challenging, you know, especially, especially around, like, you know, things we don't think about consciously necessarily, like killing mosquitoes, slapping a mosquito kind of mindlessly on our arm. You know, that, that we may... Um, break these precepts. We may kind of lose track of this training that we're undertaking and, and break the precept. But we don't have to like, take that on as somehow we've become a bad person. It's, it's, more, it's more of a, oh, I, I like to think of these as being mindfulness bells for us. If we notice that we have broken a precept or that we're about to break a precept, then it's kind of a wake-up bell. Like, oh, what's happening no, I've, I've killed a mosquito. How is, how is the experience right now? Wake up, pay attention. So it's kind of, I, I think of these precepts as being kind of supports to help us wake up in our daily lives. And so um, we'll take the refuges in Pali, in the language of Pali. And I'll do this um, a line at a time. Or we'll do it, the first time we'll through, we'll do it a few words at a time. And then we'll do it a line at a time. Um, call and response. So I'll say a couple of, of um, words and then you respond. And then the second, the third time, we'll, um, I'll say the whole line and you respond. And if this is the first time you're doing this, don't worry if, you're, if you can't get all the words. Just um, um, kind of land in the, the field of what we're doing, which is the first part of what we're doing is kind of paying an honor to the Buddha. The first, the first line that we'll chant three times is, is an honor to the Buddha. Like, I, I, I honor the Buddha, the one who found this teaching, the one who woke up on his own. And then we'll take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And then for the second time, uh, we'll take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And for the third time, we'll take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And then we'll do the precepts in English. And if you wish, you can put your hands together in the Anjali. Namo tasa, namo tasa, Bhagavato, Bhagavato, Arahato, Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Sama Sambuddhasa Now I'll try the whole line. Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddhang 
Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi and I'll do the whole line. Buddhang Saranang Chami. Buddhang Saranang Chami. Dutiampi Dhammang Saranang Chami. Dutiampi Dhammang Saranang Chami. Dutiampi Sangang Saranang Chami. Dutiampi Sangang Saranangachami Tatiampi Tatiampi Budang Saranangachami Budang Saranangachami Tatiampi Damang Saranangachami Tatiampi Damang Saranangachami Tatiampi Sangang Saranangachami Tatiampi Sangang Saranangachami And now the precepts. I undertake the training. I undertake the training to refrain from killing living beings. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from creating harm through sexuality. I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind and he- lead to heedlessness. To refrain from intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness. So let's stand for a moment. We'll do a short sitting following the standing. And so if you can hang in there for 15 minutes, there'll be a bathroom break at that point. But we'll just take like a 30-second standing break here since you've been sitting for 45 minutes.